Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens, international business attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment and suggest future topics and guests. Today's episode is a special episode where Fred and I get to welcome our friends to 2022, talk on some of the highlights and the lowlights of things we've seen in 2021 and what we're looking ahead to in 2022. We want to start out by thanking all of our listeners who have been with us since the beginning, and we're looking forward to many more episodes and more great conversations. If you have any suggestions for future guests we could interview, we are all ears. Please connect with us on social media, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. Fred, welcome to 2022. Jonathan, same to you. Now, I want to start out by asking you questions because I always appreciate learning more than I like pontificating. So let me ask you, what are some of the things that you thought were important in 2021, some things that are probably carrying over into 2022? What's top of mind for you right now? When we started off 2021, we were wondering what was going to happen with COVID. And obviously by now we we have our answer. I, I think if I had to summarize my feelings about that, uh, I think it's still a bigger deal than we would like it to be. I think that there were certainly those who were cautioning of uh, a possible scenario like the one we we are facing right now, but I think there were many others who who thought, well, maybe maybe we'll be coming out of this. So it still remains uh, a thing, if you will, and it looks. Like it will continue to be, uh, at least for 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 a significant part of of 2022. I guess now the question becomes, where will we be with COVID at the end of this year, and as we get ready to to ring in 2023? Right. I agree. I I think that our understanding back in 2019, when this all started rolling out, was that if we can only get vaccines to address this, that we would be out of the weeds. And of course, we have uh, you know, different technological levels in. Uh, within different countries uh, around the world, uh, countries' abilities to develop their own vaccine, their financial limitations, um, deployment before vaccines spoil. I mean, all kinds of issues that uh, were probably much more theoretical pre-2019 than, than they are now after almost two years of experience with this around the world. I think that we still see uh, and will continue to see a split between developed and developing nations, which is good if you're in a developing, if you're in a developed nation or if you're in a developing nation that has great allies in, uh, in developed countries. 
but I think that uh, it's going to continue to be a complex thing in 2022 in travel restrictions where we get other variants that pop up. I think a lot of the world, at least in my part of the world, a lot of people are very much over COVID, right? Mentally, and they don't want to think about it or deal with it. And they're going on with life as usual. Um, and that's a luxury that a lot of developed nations can can do, right? I mean, in the United States and Western United States, especially, it's very laissez-faire, right? You just go about your, your business and don't bother me. Um, and that works for a while, but there are certainly uh, implications that are going to continue even in developed nations. Yeah. Following up on that, I think we've already seen this, at least a start, and, and obviously it depends on on where you are, but I think we're we're seeing some movement in terms of, of getting back to normal when it comes to things such as professional events. I was up in New York last month for a conference. For many of the participants there, it was really their their coming out party, if you will, after the stricter phases of, of COVID. And there were many participants from overseas. So in many cases, there were people coming from these were people coming from places where they really had strict lockdowns and where and where things are still very limited. Um, and I think we can definitely look forward to more of that in even in early 2022. However, sort of echoing what you what you were saying about these disparities between developing and, and developed countries, there there's also disparities in. Well, I think anything international still remains, uh, especially when it comes to, to travel. I think there, there's still a, a heightened level of of, um, of control, and also that also relates to the different attitudes that you're seeing in in different parts of the world. So, on the one hand, I I, I anticipate that the next few months we'll continue to see an increase in the number of, of activities, more more travel domestically. But when it comes to the outside world, you know, it feels like we still have a ways ways to go, right? And for example, Asia, you know, remains quite closed. So even though uh, when it comes to to some other activities, we're we're beginning to get back more or less to where we were. I think when it comes to Asia, for example, it's, it's going to be a while, right? So I, it, it saddens me to, to say this, but I think there's a very real likelihood that we may not get to go to Asia this year and, and go there and visit, visit clients and participate in business development activities um, or, or just simply enjoy personal travel. I think that's not going to happen. I think Europe is still patchy when it comes to that. I mean, there's been more openness as opposed to Asia, but there's always that uh, concern hanging over you, whether there's going to be something that happens while you're there and you have to scramble to to get on a plane and come back. So personal travel might be an option. I know, I know way too many people that are enjoying their trips to Spain and I'd like to, I'd like to be one of them, but I think uh, <laughs> as far as, as a business travel, right, I think organizers of events are just, just going to continue to be um, concerned about possible disruptions to what they're doing. So uh, yeah, I think it'll be a very, very mixed picture going forward. So there's never any bad time to bring up China because we follow China so closely. What do you think is, how do you think China has been doing lately? I mean, let's take 2021, 2022. 
How do you think uh, Xi Jinping continues to exert his influence everywhere? And uh, there's always the internal political machinations, right? It, it's such a fascinating and such a big case study too, right? Because there's so many people there and, it, and the economy and everything that happens in China is very important to the outside world. So what in your mind has been prominent in China and what do you expect to continue to be issues in China in the coming year? Well, I, I, I swear this is not a pre-planned setup on Jonathan's part. I, I actually wrote a, a blog article recently on more or less this, this general topic. And, and that was a result of a presentation I gave um, at Florida State University in Tallahassee uh, a couple of weeks ago where it was actually titled China Update. And in many ways, it was a, a, an updated version of a presentation I gave a few years ago when things were very different in many, in many regards. Um, I think, again, with China, we see something of a mixed picture, right? It feels that when it comes to China, so much changes as you move to the side and, and, and shift perspective. There's one angle from which the, the Chinese story continues to be a, one of growth, one of continuing innovation, one of, of China continuing its, uh, this inexorable march uh, toward becoming the, the world's largest economy, the world's preeminent nation, or at least a co-superpower. But at the same time, if you look from a slightly different angle if you if you if you adjust your focus then you begin to see some 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 issues of, of real real concern and this is not a new thing I, I I can go back 15 years to when I first worked in China and see some some echoes of this where every presentation on China had this uh, same dichotomy built into it um, but th things that I'm looking at in particular um, one one thing that is is very interesting is as we continue to hear talk of, of things like decoupling here in the United States and as we continue to see this growth in, in concern over over China this is coming to terms with what China's rise uh, actually means for for us here in the United States and uh, for our allies in, in places like Europe and and North Asia, at the same time, we are we are seeing something of a different dynamic in other parts of the world. If you look at things from an African prism or a Middle Eastern or, or, or Latin American prism, then things might look different. Um, doesn't mean that everything is hunky dory from the perspective of people in in Africa and in the Middle East, etc. But but they're definitely looking at it uh, differently. And, and it will be interesting to, to see how, how that um, continues to, to develop. Another thing is when it comes to the economy in, in China, we see certain areas of concern. And, and this year with Evergrande and the other property developers who've had a complicated year, uh, to, put it, to put it mildly, we, we see hints of... Uh, possible cracks in in the economy that might actually be a lot more serious than 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 they appear to be just because of the lack of transparency that that still exists. So that's always something in my mind. You know, the possibility of some surprise development 
So it's one thing to look at all the available data and try to come up with a prognosis of how things are going to develop. But at the same time, I think you always have to account for some surprise that might actually have an outsized uh, impact on on the Chinese economy and China more broadly. COVID was an example of that, although that, of course, was was different in the sense that that was uh, a true black swan, you know, that that was just something that no one no one could have really foreseen but i think that there might be other such events that that could take place maybe not at the same scale but but still um events that could that could really help shape the way china goes that we might just not know about at the moment so what about you what are your what are your thoughts on on china i think that it would be hard to find another black swan event like covid as it affects China. I think a lot of conversations I have with business owners, business leaders who follow China uh, are really not surprised with the things that have been happening this year, right? With with uh, 2021 and, and probably will continue to happen in 2022, right? We've got the uh, continued crackdown on technology companies, on any kind of uh, social media. It basically, I've, I've explained it this way. If you're a demigod in China or an aspiring demigod, you are going to get whacked sooner or later, right? Whether that means you're a technology leader, whether you're a social media leader, it's inevitable. There is, unless you are part of the party and you are doing party-sanctioned activities, and even if you're doing party-sanctioned activities uh, and you step out of line, you may get whacked just for, for political reasons, right? There, are, That is one of the givens in China is that no person, no organization, no entity, no anything is above the party. And so that's always fascinating to me. And I, I find myself having to remind people of that when they're surprised at how China has treated some of its darling tech companies and how it's brought the screws down on Jack Ma's companies and, and others. So it's really interesting to think about what other people see as black swan events in China, right? Not willing to open up financial statements. We see delisting de of Chinese companies from U.S. stock exchanges for that reason, because they can't comply with contradictory U.S. laws and Chinese laws. And because they're Chinese companies, there's no sense in trying to pretend that they can obey uh, U.S. laws at the same time. So really interesting dynamics. It's uh, it makes me think about my mutual funds I'm invested in and my 401k, you know, how exposed am I to all of these China risks that are wrapped into these hedge fund, uh, hedge fund trades. Uh, I, I don't know to what extent I'm exposed, but I know that if I'm just looking at China as a risk pool, that a lot of those risks don't change that much. And so I expect that uh, as, as China continues, I mean, I think for a while, Fred, didn't we see that China was opening up and started to, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, negative list was getting smaller and smaller. And then all of a sudden we see, uh, I mean, we saw a lot of privatization as well, right? The SOEs giving up and, and people were saying, let the SOEs die, right? We don't need state-owned enterprises. We can let the private sector do this. And then what we've seen, especially in the last year or two, is a retrenchment now where those those tech darlings, those other companies that have significant uh, growth opportunities, once they have proven their concept, then the party's bringing them back in and, and converting them from private entities back into state-owned enterprises. So it's really interesting to see this from a, let's say, a political a political science standpoint. But from a business standpoint, it's it's awful, right? And so I expect that that will continue and we shouldn't be surprised. People shouldn't be surprised when that continues to happen this year, 2022. It's interesting that you you bring that up, that, that those last points, as a, as a longtime China watcher and aficionado, I'm sure 
you've experienced some of this. You have different views, of course, about China and not just different views, but different ways of thinking about China. And, and there's always been a, a crowd that that looks at things in a very fundamental way, if you will. People who will, who will always bring it back to, look, it is a one-party state. And once you go back to that way of looking at things, everything will make sense. And and there have always been people who say, no, you know, that's just not quite right. You know, there's there's a lot of things that have changed. But at the same time, it, it, it does seem that there's certainly more there to support their way of looking at it, right? This sort of very essentialist view of China where everything you, you see on the surface is just a manifestation of deeper truths. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this looking at it from a more practical perspective, looking at it from a more optimistic perspective, um, one thing that I'm noticing, an increase in the number of clients that are taking China very seriously from a legal perspective, right? More people interested in getting their China contracts right, more people interested in getting their China IP registrations right. And whatever else is happening in China, I, I, I find that to be to be encouraging. And it's certainly one of the, the things I look forward to this year, just seeing that grow. And part of that, and, and this is particularly encouraging, is I'm seeing more engagement of that sort coming from places like Latin America, where people are beginning to pay more attention to their contracts and, and just making sure that they are doing things in China in a way that is that is legally sound. Um, so, so that's definitely a, a bright spot there that I'm I'm hoping we'll continue to get brighter. Kind of collective consciousness is rising. We're seeing that in the EU as well, right? I mean, it was Lithuania, right? Who finally took a stand against China, the way China was treating uh, Taiwan. And it, it is interesting to see that. You know, we think, well, is the Europe, European Union is not always lockstep with the US in its policies. And that's no surprise. And I'm not saying it should be. But at the same time, it's been interesting to see, uh, especially the EU, uh, other Asian countries, in the last, let's say, three years, and and certainly in the last twelve months, really start to take a serious stance with China to the point that China is losing its political capital, and not that it's not garnering political capital in other ways, but I think it's been very interesting to see how the other countries have been reacting. And I think about Africa. I mean, you're you're very up to speed with Latin America. I think about Africa quite a bit, and about the splits between the haves and have-nots in Africa in terms of countries that can afford to do business with China, countries that can't afford to do business with China because of ramifications down the road. It's a very interesting split. And I think that uh, no one that I'm aware of is is currently unaware of China's of, of China's capabilities and of its intentions, right? I think we've done a good job of, of alerting people to that. We in the firm, but also in the U.S. generally, right? I guess we can't take credit for everything that the U.S. Is, <laughs> seems to be doing well on the global stage. No, we, we, we certainly can't, although... You know, hopefully we are <laughs> making our contribution. <laughs> Definitely China will continue to, to loom large um, for, for us and, and for others. Moving away from China, you know, to, to some of the other things that, that we do, um, I'm also very excited to see what happens in, in terms of cannabis legalization worldwide. We recently saw Malta become the first country in the European Union to to legalize adult use cannabis. And there's a couple of countries that are almost there. So it's very likely that by the end of this year, we'll have at least 
two more countries that have legalized recreational cannabis. So definitely a lot of exciting things happen happening in, in, in that sense. Also interesting things happening when it comes to that in Latin America. And here in the U.S., um, we're, we continue to see uh, a lot of new developments when it comes to states joining the world of, of legal cannabis. We're now exploring a new frontier. This is obviously different from cannabis, but somewhat related, um, the world of, of psychedelics. So I'm very excited to see what happens What happens there. Do um, you have any thoughts on that? It's been really interesting. I've been involved in a couple of projects with European companies coming to the U.S. and, and really a lot of U.S. companies looking to Europe, especially the Netherlands, has been very progressive in its viewpoint on dealing with psychedelic substances and how those dovetail nicely in with uh, especially mental health treatment. And I think the fact that we have an office in Portland, uh, we have attorneys there who have been specializing in cannabis for a long time and who have also kept up on this wave and we've had some new hires of some key folks. I didn't realize until a conversation I had just a couple of days ago with some very smart international CPAs and with Vince Lewoski in our Portland office where we had gotten, because I've been focusing on cannabis and other international things. And meanwhile, we have a great group within the firm who have been pushing very hard to stay at the forefront of the psychedelics uh, emerging industry. And so it's very interesting to see how it fits with uh, you know, some things like uh, substances like kratom, uh, marijuana, a lot of schedule one substances, uh, how those have been treated and, and how really the tide has changed. And it is interesting that Netherlands has been at the forefront. And so I've been I've been in conversations with companies in the U.S. looking at the model that Netherlands has set up, not just in the terms of the business, but in the terms of the underlying corporate structure to make it much more of a democratic type organization, but really uh, kind of like a benefit corporation, but without underlying shareholders as well. So it's almost like a nonprofit model, which to me speaks volumes about how early stage entrepreneurs and investors are thinking about the psychedelics industry, not as a mere profit center, but as really a, something that can be used for a lot of social good. I was down in Miami last month for, um, or two months ago for, for a conference on psychedelics. And it was really interesting to see the strong focus on, on mental health. And I've told um, anyone who, who will listen that some of the testimonies that I found most compelling uh, at that at that conference came from um, athletes who had had turned to psychedelics as a way of dealing with some of the, the the trauma that has resulted from their activities, especially athletes who, because of the sports that they that they practiced or or the, their specific positions, you know, their bodies would, would, would just take an incredible punishment. And, and it was actually quite compelling. And because we do hear a, a lot about mental health treatment for, for, for veterans and, and, and people who, you know, other people who suffer from, from PTSD, but it made it very relatable, right? And many of these professional athletes, uh, if, if not most of them, are realizing their lifelong dreams, right? By, by being able to, to compete at the highest levels. And yet, even in those cases, right, they can, they can come out of that with, with, with serious issues. So that's been a real eye opener. And, and I think that that's going to be a key factor in making the psychedelics story uh, a different one to the cannabis story, for example, because I think that that element is, is really capturing the attention of people, uh, folks who don't, don't feel that enthusiastic about cannabis reform, that uh, aspect of, of, of psychedelics um, does, does seem to, to resonate. 
So speaking of new things for 2022, please be on the lookout for our new blog, the Psychedelics Law Blog. You can begin to follow our activities related to psychedelics uh, on Twitter and Facebook. Continuing our focus on, on thematic issues, I know that you're looking closely at the world of, of crypto and decentralized finance and, and Web3. I mean, that's one of the most uh, exciting things, I think, that we're going to be seeing in this year. What are your perspectives on that? Yeah, it's been great. I went to a conference just a few weeks ago with really what I consider really hardcore crypto folks, right? They're, they know blockchain. They've been, they purchased Bitcoin in the you know, late 2010s, uh, so 2009, 2010, around there, when it was very early. Uh, heard a story of a guy who lost, I don't know how many Bitcoins he lost in, in that first Bitcoin hack. Just fascinating. And it was interesting. The thing that hit me, and we could talk about, maybe we should do a whole episode on this later, because it certainly is going to continue to rise. But the idea, you know, I had to go from understanding what Web 3.0 meant, what decentralized meant in terms of the internet as we know it now, uh, you know, what blockchain means, how, how you validate transactions, how and really how the currency that we hear about underlies all of the other things, right? It's not just currency transactions. There's a lot of other kinds of things. And certainly as lawyers and business people, there are lots of opportunities and uh, certainly many pitfalls as well. But it's been very interesting for me. Uh, one thing an entrepreneur told me at this conference, or I heard him tell the whole, whole group, it resonated with me quite well, was uh, my goal is to take the world of finance and democratize it, right? No longer will people be limited by how little money they make, right? It won't be, are you an accredited investor or not? It will be, here's an opportunity. You do your research. Do you want to invest or not? And of course, for securities attorneys like me, that makes me a little nervous. But at the same time, it, it, it also makes sense because there are a lot of people who should be able to make these decisions for themselves. And so I, I guess I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a bit now. At least I understand the perspective. And I think that's really the right way to do it, right? If you want to understand something, you go to the meetings, you sit on the inside, you hear, you hear what's being evangelized about whatever you're learning about, learn it from the inside, and then make your decisions about how you feel about it. And this, to me, this has been a real turning point and something I'm really looking forward to learning more, networking more, writing more about in 2022. What about you, Fred? The more that I that I learn about this entire field, the more that it draws me in. Again, the just the speed at which things are changing. And you, you might have had a similar experience, but I remember the first few events that I attended where where folks uh, discussed uh, topics related to to crypto and other associated topics. At times, you could be forgiven for for wondering, okay, yeah, this all sounds interesting, but but what's what's the point? I think now we're beginning to, everything is beginning to crystallize now, and we have a much clearer idea of what this is all about. And of course, that's only going to provide impetus for, for, the, for new developments. And I, I certainly look forward to, to being a part of that. Jonathan, before we, we sign off, any other topics, areas of the world, or anything else? I suppose I got to go back to the human element in everything I do. I'm, I'm very transactional in a lot of my relationships. And, and so I feel like, uh, you know, with a new year, thinking about what kind of changes do you make or what do you want to reemphasize in your life? For me, it will be trying to slow down a little bit and trying to focus on people that are closest to me and developing worthwhile relationships with others who I can help or they can help me. I, I think at the end of the day, the way we make changes in the world is in our own homes first, you know, in our ourselves, our own homes, our neighborhoods, and uh, and help it 
move outward from there, right? I can't change what's going on in Afghanistan right now in a in a major way. But if I have Afghanistani refugees in my hometown, which uh, they relocated quite a few to Salt Lake City recently, uh, for part of that resettlement, I can do something, right? I, I can impact someone. I can help in some way. And so for me, uh, you know, making money is great. Being a, a thought leader in the world is great. But being a good human being for me is really at the top of my to-do list. What about you, Fred? Yeah, you and you bring up an excellent point. Change begins at home. Change begins in the workplace. Uh, change begins in our communities. Looking back to to the Christmas season and to being visited by the uh, by the neighborhood uh, Christmas carolers, it was just a reminder that we we ultimately need to look at those closest to us. And like you said, there, there's just nothing we can do about what's happening or very little that we can do about what's happening far away, but there's a lot we can do uh, closer to home. And I, I think that th- those initial shocks brought on by the pandemics uh, upended our lives and, and sort of forced us into a very um, reactive mode. And that's understandable. But I think now as, as we begin to, to get a handle on things, I think it's time to start rebuilding and, re- and, and once again, strengthening some of those some of those links. I certainly look forward to to catching up with some of the colleagues that I have not been able to see as uh, we move, hopefully, away from the pandemic. I can't wait to see what this year brings in terms of guests and in terms of conversations. And it's just a very exciting prospect to know that perhaps in a few months, we might be talking to someone about a topic that right now we don't know about. The unexpected and, and and the surprising always always keeps me going. So, Jonathan, here's to 2022, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our producer Madeline Williams. Uh, none of this would be possible without her. Global Law and Business is a production of Harris Bricken. The team includes Madeline Williams and Michaela Moore. The music is composed by Stephen Schmidt. If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review there. We like to hear what you think of the show, and it helps new listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Hold up. 